Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR and this week we are talking about Germany. Angela Merkel has just announced her intention to run again for a record fourth term and around the world she's being hailed as the new leader of the free world and many people are hoping that she will become a beacon of the liberal order as Trump rises to the presidency of the United States. To help us make sense of that and all of the different moving parts of German domestic politics, we have three fantastic guests. First up is Stefan Cornelius, who is the foreign editor of the Süddeutsche Zeitung, one of the top uh, most prestigious German newspapers, but is also Angela Merkel's biographer. Also joining me down the line is Josef Janning and Almut Müller, both uh, heads of our office in Berlin and senior policy fellows at ECFR. So I'm going to talk to Stefan first. Stefan, you've been following Angela Merkel probably more closely than anyone in the world other than her husband. Um, <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> tell us what led her to, to run. Was it really a sense of, uh, of obligation that she needs to save the world from Donald Trump? It's a, ma- it's a mix of several factors. Uh, I think, yes, first of all, it's obligation. It's the realization that uh, the alternatives are worse. Uh, but it's not the sheer conviction that she should be the one and only chosen to save the world. Um, it's a sense of duty, though, and it is um, also the lack of uh, an, a, a sort of a, a clear and, and um, justifiable alternative within her own party. So her own party really took her uh, not only with her pride, at her pride, but also um, pretty much forced her to to do this again because she's the only guarantor for uh, a possible, well, fourth term, yes. So people are assuming outside that she will definitely be, be the next chancellor and that uh, the only question is who she'll be forming a coalition with. Is that the assumption well, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that that's uh, sure about it. Um, we have an extremely volatile situation in Germany. Um, party rising up. Um, the Liberal Democrats most likely will will be in Parliament again. The right wing populist uh, AfD will uh, most likely be in Parliament. Um, the big question in German politics is who can and will form a coalition with each other, and the constellation is extremely complex and difficult. A lot of parties like the CSU have ruled out to run or govern with another party. So in That's the end, Angela Merkel, Christian the, Democrats. the Christian Democrats in, in Bavaria. Um, so in the end, Angela Merkel might uh, win uh, sort of or might might uh, uh, show off with the strongest um, uh, popular with the strongest vote, but uh, she probably also has trouble f- forming a coalition. The most obvious co- coalition, which is there on the horizon, is the continuation of what we have. Is the what the terms call grand coalition? It's social democrats plus Christian democrats. But the social democrats are hesitating strongly to go back into that uh, combination because this is eating them up. They're losing voters to the left and to the center. So it's not attractive at all. And 
we will definitely see a campaign uh, which will be very foggy on coalitions, which will be hard fought, uh, which will be under threat to um, go into the extremes, as we saw it now in the United States. Um, but in the end, the outcome will be extremely disappointing to most players. So maybe if we go through some of these different parties uh, one at a time uh, to make sense, both of, of how they're going to do and, and what they stand for. We could start maybe with the, the Social Democrats. There's a lot of confusion uh, about what's going to happen with them. There have been rumors that Frank-Walter Steinmeier, the foreign minister, is going to become the next president of Germany. Um, there have also been lots of names floating around about possible replacements for him if he if he moves on. Do you want to uh, tell us what's going on with the Social Democrats? Well, the Social Democrats right now are in the mode to position themselves in terms of policies and, and, and figures. Uh, Frank-Walter Steinmeier clearly is set to become next president of the Federal Republic. This will happen. Uh, there's an agreement uh, uh, amongst the major parties to vote for him. Um, that... Uh, makes actually room for the Social Democrats to fill that gap in the foreign ministry and actually makes room for another uh, candidate to present himself or actually to gain more uh, public um, attention. Uh, that candidate will be Martin Schulz, the uh, head of the, the president of the European Parliament, who is clearly heading towards Berlin and wants to become a major player in German domestic politics. The question is whether the chairman of the party, Frank, uh, the chairman of the party, um, Sigmar Gabriel, who is now vice chancellor and running the economic ministry, will actually want, uh, want actually wants to have that guy at his side because uh, Schulz might even challenge him in the prime leadership position of the party, not being the party chairman, but running uh, as the chancellor candidate. This is the major decision Gabriel now has to make, whether he wants to step up on the, to that plate and wants to lead the party into the campaign. Um, this decision comes with a lot of uh, uh, unknowns, a lot of problems, dangers, actually. Um, if he loses again, and definitely the Social Democrats will not emerge from that election as the strongest party. So if he comes in second again, the question is, how much did he win or actually lose? And what will that mean for his future as party chairman? So a lot of, lot of ifs and whens. Um, and when are the decisions going to be taken? Well, the Social Democrats say it will be early next year, January or February. My guess is, yes, they will stick to that timetable. And my other guess is, yes, he will run because he has to show that leadership. He has to show that he wants uh, that he takes this responsibility and uh, he might actually have a chance. One of those coalition um, uh, combinations we were not talking about earlier is the so-called red, red, green one. So the Social Democrats together with the German left and the Green Party. That might actually be a feasible coalition if other things happen and take place. So in the end, there's a huge number of balls up in the air, a uh, very uncontrollable situation. And that kind of um, uh, single uh, angle view on Angela Merkel um, is definitely not justified. The German domestic situation is much more complex and as much as uh, her, um, uh, well, her, her uh, admirers abroad do see her as the savior of the Western world, uh, the less likely it is that the Germans actually share that view. 
And are there any other possible candidates for the SPD before people were talking about um, uh, the mayor of Hamburg, um, Mr. Mr. Scholz? Scholz. Olaf Scholz always is a is a feasible candidate, but definitely against those other two names I mentioned, Gabriel and Schulz, he is number three. So you think your prediction is that um, the candidate will be Gabriel if you had to choose one person out of those three? That's my that's my guess, and just for the simple reason, if he lets Schultz bypass him and gives him this candidacy, Schultz, even if he loses, will claim the party chairmanship. So um, it's an internal battle going on there. And on the one side, Gabriel needs Schultz because he's a fresh face to German domestic politics. He's outspoken. He's very much liked. He's not that well known. And so he's something fresh to present. On the other side, he's a challenger and he's someone who wants to have all and so for that reason they have he has to weigh his interests and i guess this forces him into the position of leading the party in these elections and how do you think that germans are going to respond to uh martin schultz he's been in brussels for a long time you know to many other people he's part of the the brussels system which is out of touch he's in the european parliament which is not the most popular institution in, uh, in, in other European countries. It seems like a strange platform for a, uh, a hegemonic political move. Well, Schulz has the liability that he can be framed as being um, EU-ish or Brussels-ish, so he might be a problem. But on the other side, he has proven that he's extremely um, down-to-earth and, and someone who can talk to the people and who can who sort of speaks their language. And whenever he, and he actually made a lot of appearances now here domestically, he has an extremely good reception. And you should underestimate that Germans might actually have a desire now for fresh faces and fresh voices. Um, after 12 years of Angela Merkel and with the Social Democrats on and off, uh, the desire to have some change and have some, some something bold and new as we saw it now in the United States or with other national elections or campaigns coming up in Europe, um, there is uh, some kind of tiredness as well here in the electorate. And you have this constant um, current uh, in, in, in the public debate, for, let's say on the refugee issues or on uh, European issues to make bold moves. So Schulz might be someone who pleases that desire. So maybe just end by looking at the fringes, which is where most political action is in many countries now. You mentioned some of the parties that um, uh, we're expecting um, to, to do well, like the alternative for, for, for Germany, Alternative for Deutschland, which is, um, uh, was originally an anti-Euro party, but is now uh, also campaigning heavily on the refugee crisis. There's the, the, the Linke, which is the, the uh, former where it's built on the former Communist Party, um, and then the Green Party, and then finally the, the Free Democrats, um, who were forced out of Parliament at the last election, but seem to be making a political comeback. Which of those do you think will do the best? <laughs> well, most likely, as, as, of, as from now, it will be the populist right, the AFD. Uh, the likelihood that they come in as number three um, is extremely high, which would make them the lead party in opposition, uh, which is uh, a thought a lot of Germans have to get used to first. Um, there, the interesting observation with all those parties is we do see that new fragmentation of the German party system. Most parties will most likely find their way into parliament. 
And they all have their niches and, and hang on to these niches. They clinch to those niches. For example, the Greens, who were extremely good on their way to open up to the center and actually to form coalitions with the Conservative Party, with CDU, um, which they actually did in Hessen and in uh, Baden-Württemberg, um, they now retreated uh, at the party conference and in their internal debates and swung back to a rather leftish position. Uh, the FDP, uh, being sort of the classic liberal party, in a German sense, liberal means more left-leaning, um, uh, has itself uh, is, is starting to position itself as sort of an alternative populist party uh, who dares to speak things others would not say on refugees issues and dealing with Russia or other things. Uh, so what we see is most of those parties trying to occupy niches, appealing to some uh, certain voters. And in the end, um, the old pattern of left and right will be most likely not the one these elections will be decided with. Uh, the, uh, the the linker and the AFD, sort of the extreme left and the extreme right, are actually not that far apart. Uh, phenomena which we do know from France and other countries where populist parties on the fringes are actually much closer um, uh, to each other than one would assume. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting game playing with the public right now. Their issues are not clear cut. Most likely um, refugees will be high on the agenda. Most likely Europe and uh, sort of the aftermath of the French elections will be important. Um, most likely the next challenges in the economic um, uh, changes, industry 4.0, all these issues will be important. Um, post-truth politics. Um, so we'll see how that shapes, but it'll be an exciting year. Great. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to you between now and then. And I'm glad that your biography of Angela Merkel looks like it's going to certainly have a longer shelf life than some people feared when they were talk about her being forced out of office. So you were always very clear that that wasn't going to happen. Thank you very much, Stefan. Thank you, Mark. So... Uh, Josef and Almut, um, uh, we didn't really talk that much about what the runners and riders in the election will mean for the future of Europe and for foreign policy. Josef, do you want to um, maybe give us a sense of, of what you think is at stake? Well, of course, um, at this time, at this point in time, with the kind of international environment, um, the more and more eyes are in, on Germany. And in fact, uh, even though Merkel doesn't want the position of the leader of the free world, uh, pretty much the response of the Europeans to the Trump presidency and to the other challenges will depend on what Berlin decides. Uh, and that puts uh, the German political class, the exponents and protagonists of that class, uh, into a spot where um, they have to take some risk, where they have to uh, somehow lead the way, even though they are reluctant to to call the shots, but they will have to move. And I think this is uh, at stake with this election. Uh, with Angela Merkel running, she will be very much making this argument that she's the guarantee for a steady course, for a uh, predictable and reliable uh, German policy in and for Europe. Um, and uh, we will have to see you know, how um, the, the challenger, how the social democratic side will respond to this. Uh, Stefan Cornelius has spoken a bit about that, but uh, uh, very much depends on uh, whether um, uh, um, not a social democratic chancellor would take, you know, sort of an, an opposite uh, perspective. If Merkel very much argues from out of office, 
um, and and from her position, then I think there is a certain temptation for uh, Zygmunt Gabriel, if he's the one to challenge her, to move out of the government and to uh, to to give the populace to to be the voice of the people and not the voice of statesmanship and reason, and and uh, thus seek to to balance um, uh, this equation, which uh, otherwise is heavily in favor of Angela Merkel. What do you think, Aimo? Um, well, I think, um, as Josef was pointing out, Angela Merkel will try to deliver a message of stability. But uh, I think what is also important to uh, notice around her is when you look at her talking, I mean, obviously, uh, she knows about all the difficulties that are ahead and the unpredictability of the calendar, both uh, with regard to Europe, um, where we have the uh, trigger of Article 50 on behalf of the UK likely to happen in the spring, where we have probably towards later uh, or early summer another uh, vote on Greece um, in the Bundestag that is looming. Um, on that front, you know, one pillar uh, uh, that she would rather want to be more pacified might sort of uh, give her a real headache. And the second one is Donald Trump going into motion um, because as we know and discuss in great length, um, transatlantic relations have been pivotal for German foreign policy at large. And um, if Donald Trump is starting to do the things that he announced he would do, um, this will uh, be a really difficult moment for Angela Merkel because she will need to act on it while campaigning. And it's quite interesting to look at her language these days. Um, unlike other leaders across Europe, she knows that these times are not stable. So she's trying to find the right balance between messages of stability and reliability, as well as messages that are about being open to change and adaptation and veränderung. And uh, she really talks about that quite a lot. Um, I think empowering also citizens and believing in that change is not necessarily a, a very bad thing, but can can also bring about uh, a good stuff. So for her, it's a, it's a balancing act, but it might actually turn out that 2016 is a, a 17 is a year in which really um, Europe and the US angle are going to create major trouble for her domestically, because these are then um, good, good uh, opportunities for, for the opposition parties and the challenging parties. But do you not think that they push in different directions? I mean, we saw when Gerhard Schröder was um, chancellor that he basically managed to, to win a general election by running against not his CDU opponent, but against George Bush over the Iraq war. Um, do you not think that uh, actually running against Donald Trump could be something which is very, very politically powerful in Germany, given rising anti-Americanism, the fact that younger Germans only see America as a, a source of, uh, of instability and chaos rather than something which has um, uh, been central to, to German security uh, throughout the Cold War and the early post-Cold War years? Yes, I agree with you on the point that you describe about it's not a rising anti-Americanism. It's been around. It's an undercurrent, both on the left and on the right. And this, uh, as a matter of fact, I saw as the major driving force um, of Angela Merkel stepping out the day after um, the U.S. elections or the morning in the German uh, time, um, saying on the basis of shared values and naming all of them, um, I am offering a strong cooperation to the future President Trump. She said that mostly in my reading because she knows a German public wants to hear that. He, the, the people want to see her drawing a line. And this was a preparation for what you're describing 
um, I think she will run into difficulty running a, a campaign against uh, Trump. Um, Schroeder run a campaign against German involvement in the Iraq war, which is, you know, on a, you know, it's a, it's a different framing. Germany knows very well the importance of the United States, and Angela Merkel does, and she pointed that out also in her response. So it'll be it'll be a really difficult situation for her. She'll try and and capitalize on you know finding a European way and doing things a European way and the confidence that she is is powerful. Um, but I do not think that she will have many opportunities to really confront the United States on this. So Almo's not sure about whether yeah. the U.S. is going to be helpful to Angela Merkel, though I suspect it will be. What's going to be much trickier is something that Stefan Cornelius mentioned earlier, which is the French elections. Presumably, if Marine Le Pen wins in France, uh, that could be incredibly dangerous to Angela Merkel uh, and strengthen the AfD. Or or do you think it might drive people back into Mutti's arms because uh, the whole of the rest of Europe looks so extremely scary? It may indeed. You know, um, I think Almut is is very right uh, on the uh, Trump issue um, because uh, uh, the problem of Merkel is if she if she stands up too visibly, uh, she has to be doing something. She has to be uh, leading some action, uh, and that will probably not resonate well in the German public. When Le Pen should win in France, I believe uh, that will strengthen her. Uh, because uh, on the one hand, it will sort of kill her Europe, uh, but on the other hand, it uh, will uh, show a lot of the Germans that that actually the the chaos and the the uncertainty, the unpredictability uh, and the the disorder that comes from electing populists uh, to the front row, um, is actually not what the Germans want. You know, this is a conservative country. People uh, favor stability uh, over uh, over change, even though they they like to see new people coming, but they don't like to see rather open uh, situations politically. So I would believe in the moment in which she would face uh, the most serious blow to her approach to Europe, which is successful patient process management, by having to deal with with anti-Europeanists, uh, she will um, receive quite some support domestically because let's assume a Sigma Gabriel giving the man in the street uh, uh, um, a character and kind of challenging uh, Merkel with uh, kind of the bottom-up spirit uh, to uh, her top-down politics. Uh, in the moment in which uh, the woman on the street, Marine Le Pen, sits in the Elysee, um, I think... From the German perspective, things look better uh, with Merkel, uh, more more reliable uh, and and less uh, chaotic. So that will help her. And how do you think that Angela Merkel is going to manage to deal with all of the big political issues, which you, some of which you mentioned earlier, like Brexit and the French elections and Trump and all the other things that the world is going to throw at us, such as possible breakdown of relations with Turkey, whatever Vladimir Putin's up to, whatever happens in Syria, against the backdrop of an increasingly active election campaign. I mean, the election is still, uh, you know, uh, the best part of a year away. and People are in pretty febrile mood and are talking about very little else at the moment. 
Well, I believe she'll be well advised um, not to go on the election trail early, but to do stuff and to work and to capitalize on her power and strength that she both uh, still has at home and in Europe and work on things that are more un more predictable than other things that are less predictable for her at the moment. And then really allow for the campaign to sort of roll intensely, but probably not for a very long time, um, because she wants to show that she's doing things and here is her strength. So she'll carefully assess where are areas where she can really uh, do things, have an impact and show the Germans that uh, Berlin is in charge, is in control, uh, even when the rest of uh, the world is sort of going into a bigger phase of unpredictability. So maybe we could end by uh, looking at what kind of German government is likely to come out of these things, because we, we've been used to a very strong Berlin, at least in comparison with the weak governments that were running other countries. But um, it seems pretty unlikely that there will be a grand coalition uh, that runs the country afterwards. Stefan Cornelius mentioned one possibility, which was a, a, a red, red, green coalition, which would be one without Angela Merkel. If Angela Merkel wins, she will probably be having to pull together lots of different parties, some of the minnows as well as the, um, the, the, the CDU. Some people are even talking about a, a five-party coalition with the CDU, CSU, Green Party, sorry, four-party coalition, Green Party and the, the FDP. Um, that's presumably going to be quite difficult to, to hold together. So are people wrong to think there'll be a strong Germany? Could it be a very weak government that emerges from the general election? Um, it, Mark, it could be a weak government, uh, even though uh, there will be strong uh, desire uh, inside uh, the parties, but also in, in uh, the, the, the public opinion as far as it articulates itself uh, for uh, a stable majority uh, coalition. Now, we're facing the prospect of a seven-party parliament, which is a new thing. Um, which in normal European circumstances should also lead to the, to the development of an understanding that it can be better at times to have a minority government, uh, actually, rather than to have a coalition that is too diverse. You know? uh, but uh, so far, there is no appreciation of that in the German public. You know? People here are for majorities, reliable majorities and stability. That's why Stefan Cornelius is right in saying that they there is a strong probability for another grand coalition to emerge, even though this grand coalition does not serve well uh, both of the larger parties uh, in it because they will both suffer. But uh, uh, that's still uh, uh, among the most probable uh, uh, scenarios. Uh, the, the coalition that you were uh, mentioning, you know, the, the conservatives with the Greens and the liberals, um, that would require... Uh, the Conservatives doing very well and the Greens doing very well uh, in order to uh, to have a chance because the Liberals probably can call themselves happy if they uh, manage to get uh, more than 5%, so they can probably get something around 55 to 6%. So they won't be the decisive factor uh, unless the, the, the Conservatives are strong and the Greens uh, are super strong. So... Given what happened to the, the SPD in places like Mecklenburg, uh, Vorpommern, for and um, uh, some of the other regional elections where, you know, they were struggling even to get 10% of the votes, how can any Social Democrat think it's a good idea to carry on in a grand coalition? 
Uh, well, only as long as uh, you don't have a realistic alternative. You know, um, a, a red, red, green coalition also has certain preconditions. Uh, it can only establish itself if the social democrats do very well. Uh, yeah. Also, it depends on the fact that not only the Greens do well, but also Delinke, the left party, has to do well. Yeah. You know, no, no, it is it is I, a very it's I, a very complicated scenario. You know? So they are going for the lesser evil. Sure, but after the last election, there were quite a lot of social democrats, such as Hannelore Kraft, who were arguing that the party would do well to have a bit of time out of out of government to regroup redefine itself and um, uh, stop the slow death which has been uh, engaged in in the last few years. Do you not think that those people will be even more influential after the terrible results which they're likely to get in the next general election? Uh, well, that's a good point. But, you know, Croft uh, faces the issue between uh, two uh, not so attractive scenarios. The one is the one that you were describing and that she responded to. The other is one that would basically take the social democrats out of government, but uh, with no uh, other coalition having a strong and solid majority, because there wouldn't be enough votes for uh, the Christian Democrats and the Greens to form an alternative. But wouldn't now, that, and in, in that, that case, scenario for the social democrats that you have a weak and hopeless government that you can then torture from from opposition? Yeah, but the Germans don't appreciate weak governments. They want. Majority governments. Now, they, we have no understanding of minority governments. Uh, the Social Democrats would be seen as the ones uh, leading the re Republic into chaos if they, in the moment in which uh, the Christian Democrats don't have a majority alternative, uh, you know, in the case they had, they could happily, you know, lean back and go into opposition and, and things would be fine. But if that is not the case, then, you know, either they will be uh, blamed for for weakening uh, Germany or they will have to go into another grand coalition and suffer the the, the downside of, of being in another grand coalition. I have one point, Mark. If the IFD scores very well, I think there is a reflex in the center to say we really have to fence off uh, this influence, which would be another scenario in which I think the SPD would have different thinking, um, because there is quite a strong consensus uh, against uh, populism on the right, uh, on the very right. So we talked a bit about some of the, the dilemmas facing the, the left about whether to go in opposition or government. What about those on the right? Because, you know, there have been huge tensions between the, the Uh, Christian Social Union in Bavaria and the and, and Angela Merkel's Christian uh, Democratic Union in the rest of the country. Um, there are also debates about whether they should think about going into coalition with the Green Party or with other parties should those sorts of circumstances arise. People have not been very happy with the Grand Coalition uh, on the right of that party either and have seen Angela Merkel as, as too much of a Uh, a prisoner of the, the social democrats. How, how is the internal politics on the right going to develop and, and what sorts of dilemmas are they going to be facing? Well, the attempt will be to gain back those that have gone to the very right 
And uh, in many ways, the CSU in Bavaria is useful for that as well, because by and large, I believe there are voters who will see this part of the wider conservative contingent that is then reflected in these two sister parties. So um, there will be a strong attempt to win back those votes. And uh, we've seen that on issues of migration more lately, on the questions of a real politique vis-à-vis uh, borders of Europe, etc. So there is a whole number of areas in which I think the right is particularly well, the centre-right, uh, particularly well suited to score. When it comes to security, they have a lot of credibility, while when it comes to social security, the social democrats are the ones that carry this um, as their subject. They are struggling more. So some of the issues, the major issues on the agenda are really playing to a... Um, center-right sort of strength, and they will try to capitalize on that. Okay, well, maybe just um, end with, with one last question to the two of you, which is what your prediction is for the, uh, for the election. Obviously, we can come back and you can revise it in, uh, in future things, but luckily for people who have iTunes, um, they will be able to check it after the election and see whether you were right in, uh, in, in November 2016. Okay, my prediction is we will see another grand coalition, not with enthusiasm on both sides of it, but uh, with no choice because both the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats will lose in votes. And Angela Merkel will still be Chancellor then? Angela Merkel will still be Chancellor. But, you know, then the next four years will be a rather uncomfortable time because uh, that will be her last term. And there will be a lot of uh, uh, intra-party fighting uh, over who will succeed Angela Merkel. Okay, and what's your prediction, Alan? I think it's less likely now that the Green Party is going to join in with the CDU because they've just gone left, as Stefan Cornelius has been describing. And if we are looking at a situation where at international level security and defense is getting ever more important, we can really expect almost Kulturkampf uh, types of debates here on these questions here in Germany. So um, my hunch would be grand coalition, possibly even with the odd injection of the FDP uh, coming back, because there is a lot of voters, I think, um, that would value a return of that party. Um, They've brought some fresh air also on the European Union debate. So I could imagine a threesome. Hold me accountable for this. Okay. So we've got one more thing to do in this podcast, which is the bookshelf segment. Uh, Anne, why don't you go first? Well, what I have on my desk, but I've read it, uh, it's nice to have it now in German, is Luke van Middelaar's The Passage to Europe, which has now been translated into the German for the book fair. Um, what I'm reading more immediately is Mathieu Duchatel's uh, piece on China's evolving counterterrorism strategy. The um, Asia and China program is coming to Berlin uh, next week, uh, amongst others, with Mathieu, the deputy head of that program, uh, Officer FR, to uh, run a BCM, a Black Coffee Morning, on this question. And we are also seeing the Europe-Japan Forum here in Berlin that will involve the colleagues from Paris. So we are looking forward to that, and that's why I'm having a read. Okay. Um, Josef, are you reading anything at the moment? Well, I have on my uh, desk... uh um, just finished reading it from Carlo Masala. He's a German political scientist teaching at the um, University of the Armed Forces in Munich. And he's written a book uh, which is not very original, and its title is about Die Neue Weltunordnung, the New World Disorder. Um, but what's interesting about it is that he's trying to, 
to introduce um, realist, uh, almost neocon uh, foreign policy reasoning to the German foreign policy debate, uh, which is kind of interesting because, you know, the German foreign policy debate uh, has always had doses of realism, but has never had this traditional realist power political approach, has always been more on, on milieu and multilateralism, on on uh, the rule of law and international relations uh, instead of this rather crude focus on power. Uh, and he now suggests carefully, though, however, uh, a, a realist foreign policy approach for Germany, which uh, I think is sort of interesting. So I will recommend Stefan Cornelius's uh, interesting biography of Angela Merkel. And I hear he's preparing a, a new edition of it. So. Um, that probably, I imagine, will be out in time for the next election. So um, read the current one, but we'll also keep you posted about, about uh, any plans for revision. So that brings this podcast to an end. Um, if you have enjoyed it, please do let all of your friends know about it on Facebook. Make a comment on our Facebook site. Please give us a review on iTunes. That makes a huge difference and allows people to to come and, and hear us or on Mixcloud or Soundcloud or whatever platform it is that you're using to listen to this podcast on. There are links to all of the publications we mentioned on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. But for now, from Stefan Cornelius, Josef Janning, Anmut Müller, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke and our Editor is Katarina Botel-Azzinaro. <laughs>